The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. We are back in the Gospel of Mark. Hallelujah. And uh, remember, the theme is the servant on the mission. Probably the key verse is from Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, <laughs> but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Today we're in chapter 5. The theme for the month is going to be power and healing. We're going to see that all month. Now next week, actually, we're going to have a mini missions conference. It's going to be an exciting week for us as uh, Brandon's going to come and preach, and we're going to have many of our missionaries here, and with tables you're going to be learning about some of the missionaries that we support, and that'll be exciting. But we'll be in the Gospel of Mark for the month. And so today I'm entitling it A Transformation Tale. It's Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. We'll get there in a minute. I had a dear friend that sent Betsy and I on Facebook his resolutions for the year. This year I want to be more like Jesus, hang out with sinners, upset religious people, tell stories that make people think, choose unpopular friends, be kind, loving, and merciful, and take naps on boats. Um, and, I, and I laughed at that, and I thought of the story that we had just visited at the end of November. And I want to read it for you again, because this is, sets up what we're looking at in chapter 5, because it's all the same day. Uh, Jesus was preaching, and then he took them on a boat ride, and this is what happened. That day when evening came, he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves break over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You know, the end of the story is worship. They learn about Jesus, not just from his preaching, but then in this life experience. And I think many of us have gone through life experiences that have affirmed and and confirmed our faith in Jesus. And he has done things that only he can and will do. Now, a theme in the scriptures is between light and darkness. You see this all the time. Light always means good. It means life. Darkness always means evil and death and those kinds of things. The contrast is very great. And I love this picture because you can't see a shadow of the flame. Isn't that great? You, you know, the light, as John says, always overcomes the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness can never own the light. The light is in control, ultimately. The light wins, ultimately, right? And it's, it's just, but there's, there is the struggle, and we affirm that, that uh, there is a struggle between good and evil on this planet, and Jesus is the one who wins. It, these words come just after John 3:16 which is such a great verse and 17 whoever believes in him that is Jesus is not condemned 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This struggle between light and good and evil and darkness is seen throughout Scripture. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. Now, as I read the text for today, you listen carefully because this is another power encounter. This is another of what we've seen before in Mark. We see again in Mark chapter 5. It's such a dramatic tale. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again, not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. In this chapter, we're going to see the authority of Jesus Christ over demons, over disease, and, um, and it's just, it's, and death. 
death itself. He, he's going to display power and authority over all those in this chapter. And this transformational tale is just so sweet. It unfolds in four scenes. The description of the darkness, the deliverance out of darkness, the deception from the darkness, and finally, the directive to tell the story, which is kind of like the postscript of, of this story. Now, what I found interesting is this. This story appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three Gospels tell the same story. The interesting contrast is, though, Mark only uses 135 words to tell the story. Mark, that's Matthew. Matthew uses 135 words. Mark uses 330 words. I think when Peter related this story to Mark, because we know Peter had input with Mark, it so affected him. You know, the boat ride was one thing, but what happened when they got to the shore was so dramatic, and I think it left a lasting impression on Peter, so he gave detail and it, it's so detailed, it, you can tell it's an eyewitness who's telling us the story in Mark chapter 5. So we're going to begin with a description of the darkness. When did it happen? They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. It happened on the same day, probably at night. They'd probably been traveling. It was evening when they started the journey and went through the storm. And now it may be night, early morning. We don't know exactly. And where did it happen? It happened in the Gerasenes in that region. Now, there's a lot of debate about all this. I show you the map because the city that we believe this actually happened is right there in blue at the top of the map. And it's right on the Sea of Galilee. It's so funny because in 1970, they're running a bulldozer around this area and they unearthed an ancient town. Isn't that funny? 1970, the truth of this story was confirmed because, you know, people don't prove the Bible true. It's already true. They're just affirming what's already there. And uh, that's the case. So this is in the region of the Decapolis on the other side of the Jordan River. This is Gentile area. This is the first time Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark has gone into a Gentile area. And that's very significant, I think. And um, they're under the authority of Hippos. You see that just below the blue uh, Garris, uh, uh Gerasa, I guess is the way to say it. Just below there, that's the, the city of the ten that ruled over this region where this happened. And it's so exciting. Jesus is, is now venturing for the first time into a Gentile territory. Well, really, it's not where and when, it's the who, right? The, the, the description of this man is startling. It, it, is, it is shocking, is it not? This is the third story of an exorcism that we've seen in the Gospel of Mark. There was one in chapter 1, there's one in chapter 3. But by far, this is the most desperate of those who were possessed by a demon. It's a pathetic situation. He's insane. I mean, that's obvious. And verse 2 says, he immediately came running to Jesus. And I see the man in that context wanting help. One of the things we've got to watch as we're looking at the text, the pronouns bounce back and forth. Sometimes we're in first-person singular, he, and sometimes we're in first-person plural, we or they, uh, a third plural. And, and there's an interplay here between the demons and this man, but this guy wants help. 
This guy can't find help anywhere else. He, he can't find it among his friends. Heavens, they try to chain him and they can't even keep him chained. Nobody can subdue him because the characteristics are very stark. One commentator says the vocabulary is brutal. It's raw like a ferocious animal. And it's true, isn't it? He lives in the tombs. He lives outside the city. He lives in the graveyards. He, he's not even allowed into the city. I mean, it's like a leper. A leper. He isn't in there, and he can't be chained. His supernatural power, he, 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 is, he, he is strong. so strong, nobody can keep him chained. And he lives in torment. Torment. He, he cries out. He shrieks. He screams. And he's cutting himself with stones. And honestly, he's suicidal. And I think that's the goal of the demons. They want him to die. And, and he's desperate. And he runs to Jesus. One commentator says, never underestimate the power of Satan. He's the destroyer. Many years ago, church unwisely brought in a new pastor who didn't believe the Bible. He didn't believe in being born again. He didn't believe in the resurrection. And he once preached a sermon from this text. And he stood up and I had my Baptist girlfriend with me. Yeah, the, the blonde that i am been married to, wonderful. She and I are sitting there and he stands up and says, the title of his sermon is, I am mob. I said, Bets, I knew he was demon-possessed. Now he's admitting it. <laughs> but do you understand, he explains away the demons. It's just personality flaws. I don't think so. I think the demons were alive then, and they're alive now. And this is a serious, serious text. Dr. Howard Hendricks preached a sermon on power. The power of Jesus trumps everything else. And he talks about the characteristics of demons. And, and it's very, very clear. Uh, demons, you know, are unclean. We're living in, in a society that's become so unclean. Obscenities, pornography, adultery, sexual perversions. On and on it goes. And it's so sad, isn't it? They're isolated. Have you noticed in your life that you feel the enemy's attack often when you're alone? And you see that? That's this guy's story. He's all alone. They have supernatural strength. No one could bind him. They, they can't even tie him down. He, he breaks chains. And there's self-destruction. That, that's really what's so stark about the story. Hendricks relates, he says, I know a student with an IQ of 160 who, by his own testimony, was moving in the direction of demon possession. His stories could absolutely compel me to throw up. He had repeatedly tried to take his own life. One day he told me, Prof, I went to every human source I knew to get rid of the forces that were controlling me. It was only when Jesus Christ entered my life that I was delivered from these self-destructive forces. Amen. Amen. That's why this man is running to Jesus. That's why he is running. Another commentator says, the ultimate responsibility for his wretchedness is the demons. It's the demons. Darkness is abounding. 
Demonic activity is on the increase, even here in America. As I started to research this, you know, I was kind of shocked. Both the New York Times and USA Today, in December, just a month ago, wrote articles to talk about demonic activity that's happening in our country. In 2013, the Satanic Temple started. Two men who tried to go under pseudonyms, and it was in Salem, Massachusetts. Now, we've seen these things before, but that's where they started all this. It's a non-theistic religion and engages in activism to defend pluralism, secularism, and religious rights according to their website. The men who started it say it, it considers the concept to be a mythological framework that encourages people to question authority and follow the best available evidence. Satan, the founder said, is the embodiment of the ultimate rebel against tyranny. And that's the way it's being projected, you see. But now, look at, look at this. Here, here's a guy in Des Moines, Iowa, in the heartland, at the Capitol, worshiping Satan. There he is, right there. And this was just in December. Uh, the display was vandalized later in the week. Here he is, praying in Latin to the enemy. Brothers and sisters, this is a serious Serious situation. Here, here's, here's the statue that's outside of the Capitol in Des Moines. Look at that. That's dangerous. It's been there for a while. The governor wants to get rid of it, but hasn't been able to. <laughs> There's a similar statue on the campus of the Illinois State Capitol. And in December... They were reciting incantations to the enemy right in the state house in Illinois. This is current events, all right? The story is shocking in Mark chapter 5. But people are living this horror. Not only that, they've started Satan clubs in our public schools. This is happening. States are permitting it. If it's student-initiated, it's student-led by the law, you have to allow it. Earlier this week, there was a flyer that circulated in December about a new organization coming to an elementary school just outside of Memphis, Tennessee. The flyer said, hey, kids, let's have fun in after-school Satan club. This is real. It's not just Mark chapter 5. I issue it as a stern warning that we must be very aware. This poor man is trapped. He's in a desperately dark situation, and he wants help. And where does he go? He goes to the right place. Because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We must remember this, right, as we look at this story, Okay? The deliverance out of the darkness. He makes connection. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Immediately he ran. I don't know how he knew who Jesus was. I don't know how, but he ran to Jesus. 
And again, I mentioned to you that the, the interplay of the pronouns is intriguing and we must be careful about that. He falls at Jesus' feet, probably not worship. It's probably forced submission I, at that moment in time. I, I'm not sure. But I think it reflects that he wanted help. And if you want help, Jesus has the power to help you. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. The confrontation is quite dramatic. He shouted at the top of his voice. That's what he was doing in the tombs. That's what he, how he was shrieking. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, at this point, I'm not sure whether he's talking or the demons speaking. You understand? Again, this is the interplay. But the demons in chapter 1 acknowledged who he was. And here's a very clear description of who Jesus is. He is God. He is the son of the most high God. You don't go any higher. <coughs> and it's a perfect description. Not of him as Messiah necessarily, but certainly as the God man. And then they plead in God's name. In God's name, don't torture me. It, it's, it's, it's so strange that they would evoke the name of God crying out for mercies because they know that Jesus has the power over them. They know that to be so. Jesus had said and kept saying, come out of this man, you impure spirit. The concession. This is kind of an interesting part of the story, isn't it? I find it very interesting. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Something in the occultic records of the Babylonians, the Egyptians, others, if you know the name of your enemy, you have power over them. Okay, so this, these demons have already recited that he's the son of the most high. Now Jesus says, what's your name? And I think the demon's kind of boasting, oh, we're legion. The likelihood of 6,000 demons, I, I'm not sure about that. I think there are multiple demons in the man, but I think he's boasting when he says this, for we are many. And then he begged Jesus again and again not to send them, see that interplay of pronouns, them out of the region. So that sounds like the demons, right? And <coughs> this begging we find four times in the story. Different people are begging with Jesus. They are pleading with Jesus. You see, he has power over them. It's no contest. They, they know this to be so. And, and so they're, they're begging, they're pleading that they don't want to be sent out of the region. There's a large herd of pigs feeding on a nearby hillside. That's how we know it's a Gentile area. The Jews don't raise pigs, all right? They're unclean, right? They're in a Gentile area. And the demons begged Jesus, send us, plural, among the pigs, allow us, plural, to go into them. And he gave them permission. Where is the ultimate destiny of Satan and his demons? The lake of fire. Okay? That's Revelation chapter 20. That's their ultimate destiny. And they know it. They know it to be true but they're pernicious. They want to take us down with them. They want to destroy this man. And when they enter the pigs and the pigs go over the cliff and drown, that just shows you that's what they wanted to do to this man. And by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, that ain't going to happen. Right? 
I mean, that, that's so beautiful. The moral question arises. It's sad that the pigs were destroyed, but you can't compare even 2,000 pigs to one soul. Okay, that, that's, that Mark doesn't say anything about it. Jesus doesn't say anything about it. But souls are that important to him. And it, it is. It's, it's a very interesting question. Power encounters do occur. And Jesus always wins. I've had friends or missionaries in other places had power encounters like this. They said, always Jesus wins. It's never a fair fight, if you want to say it that way. Now, we need to keep balance here. Because Satan's strategies are still in, the, in play today. Um, a man by the name of Tim Downs, Tim Downs wrote a book called Head Game. And he illustrates the strategy of Satan through the battle strategy of Alexander the Great. On one occasion, when his army was in full retreat from a larger army, he gave orders to his armors to construct oversized breastplates and helmets that would fit men who were seven or eight feet tall. <laughs> and as this army was retreating, they left behind <laughs> these, these breastplates and helmets. And when the enemy found this oversized gear, they decided not to engage them. You see, that's what Satan's trying to do. Satan is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. God is. You understand? And he might portray himself as very powerful, and he is, and we need to respect that, okay? Even Michael the archangel, when can, fighting with uh, Satan over the body of Moses, said, the Lord rebuke you. All right, we need to understand that. But he doesn't have power over us because he doesn't have power over, over Jesus who lives in us. And we need to keep that in mind. Now, the deception from the darkness. I find this another intriguing part of the, the story. They run to the town and they tell them the story about what has happened. And they tell them not only about the man, but about the pigs. And so the people come out of the town and they want to see this. They, they want to see Jesus. I mean, he's the key character in this story. And, and isn't it beautiful? When they came to Jesus, verse 15, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion, past tense, right? He's got a whole new life. He's been set free. He was possessed by the legion of demons, but no longer. And he's sitting there. He'd been running around for years, maybe. And he's sitting there and he's dressed. He's no longer naked. <laughs> and he's in his right mind. Jesus has the power to do that. For anyone, at any time, in any place. That's what's so beautiful about this. And they were afraid. <laughs> well, <laughs> when the apostles were in the boat and they, they saw the sea went come, they were afraid too. What were they afraid of? I think they were afraid of his power. I think they were afraid of his authority. They'd seen this guy for years. They knew who he was. And all of a sudden, he's seated there, and he's in his right, right mind. Man, Jesus had done something. They also were probably pretty ticked about the 2,000 pigs that went over the cliff. I mean, honestly, that's not one man's herd. That would have to be a community herd. 
They were afraid. Are people afraid today? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. In that sermon, Howard Hendricks says this, and I, I couldn't help but quote this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. What a perceptive parable of our generation, Hendricks writes. This is a few years ago. You know he's in heaven now. We live in a society in which everything nailed down is coming loose. Things that people said could not happen are happening. Thoughtful, though unregenerate people are asking, where is the glue to reassemble the disintegration and disarray? Man is almost insanely committed to the proposition that he has all the answers. We build sandcastles only to discover that the tides of reality wash them all out to sea. Then we usually seek someone to blame. Hendricks says, I saw an intriguing piece of graffiti in the city of Philadelphia some time ago. Scratched across the wall where the words Humpty Dumpty was pushed. We look for somebody else to blame. What is the greatest need of a decadent and deteriorating society? Power! That's what Hendricks says. A plethora of individuals make promises they cannot perform. They don't have the resources or the power. Long on promises, short on production. The reason? They don't have the resources. They don't have the power. This is not so in the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, that, that's what's so dramatic about this incredible story. He came to his own. His own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to them who believe on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Wow. Your life, my life, can be transformed or has been transformed by the power of the gospel and Jesus Christ. We couldn't help ourselves. We couldn't pay our way out. We couldn't get it from somebody else. He had to give it to us, and he will, and he does, and he's doing it today all over the world because he's building his church. That was last week's sermon, and he's making progress. He's clearing the way in people's lives. It's so beautiful. Now, the very end of the story, we have like the postscript, and Jesus getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed, again, it's all past tense, begging, begging, same word that we've seen before four times in the story, to go with him. And, and Jesus did not let him, which is kind of shocking, isn't it? I mean, he just wants to be with Jesus. The apostles, when Jesus appointed them, that was the primary thing. Earlier in Mark said they were going to be with Jesus. This man likely is a Gentile. There was no room for a Gentile apostle. But you know what he made him? A missionary. <laughs> He's the first missionary. He's not an apostle, but he is a missionary. Isn't it great? Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Just tell your story. Now, earlier, he healed a demoniac, and, and, and he told the guy, don't tell anybody, and the guy went around and told everybody. He disobeyed. 
But in this case, this guy obeyed. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do, and that's what he's telling you to do. That's what he's telling me to do. Just tell your story. Tell what God's doing in your life. Tell others what he has the power to do. May be dramatic, probably not as dramatic as this story, but it's real. The greatest miracle you will ever know is meeting Jesus Christ. That is the greatest miracle. It's not a physical hearing, healing. It's not a, a redemption out of a bankruptcy or something like that. No, it's knowing Christ. This is the miracle. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, the Gentile area, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people lost their dentures. <laughs> when we get to Mark chapter 7, we'll be back in the region. They know about Jesus. You know why? Because the guy obeyed and did what Jesus told him to do. That's what he's telling me to do. That's what he's telling you to do. At the very end of this book, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. To all creation, go and tell, go and tell, go and tell. So the conclusion of the story is this. Jesus can save anyone in any place at any time. I honestly believe that. Richard Halverson, who was the chaplain of the Senate, said to Howard Hendricks, he if I ever have another church, if I ever plan another church, I'm going to put a sign out for sinners only. I came in here a sinner, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but still a sinner. You did too. Let's open the doors. Let's open them wide. Anyone who needs help, needs hope, can find it here. And it's not from us, it's from Jesus, right? I mean, he's the one that transforms lives. He's the one who wants to connect with them. And that's the beauty of this. All you need to do truly to experience this miracle is to sincerely put your trust in Jesus Christ. No one is beyond his reach. No one, he, he can change your life. He can change anyone's life. I mean, you want final proof? All right. How about the thief that died next to Jesus? Jesus is dying that day. And when that guy says very convincing things. Don't you fear God since we're under the same sentence? We're going to die today, he says to the other thief. We're punished justly. He's admitting his guilt, for we're getting what our deed deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He, he confesses that Jesus is sinless. He, he's, he's confessing in front of a hostile crowd while he's dying on the cross next to Jesus that he is pure. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Listen, you don't survive dying on a cross. They don't let you down. He knew he was going to die, but he knew he was going to reign as a king after his death, right? This is what he's saying. Just remember me. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I love how Alistair Begg says it. <laughs> he goes, imagine the guy gets to the pearly gates and they say, how'd you get here? Hey, the guy in the middle invited me. <laughs> That's my story. That's your story. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you can transform lives. You can transform anyone at any time in any place. The transformation can begin today that will never end.
I pray, Lord Jesus, that if somebody's listening today online or here in this house, if they've never really trusted you, they've tried to do it on their own, convince them that they need to run to your feet and confess their faith in you. They have demons and heartaches and memories that are haunting them. Lord, please release them by your power. Thank you, Lord, for the miracle of Mark chapter 5. Thank you for the victory over all the evil and darkness that there will ever be. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.